Hello everyone and welcome back to In This Moment Podcast and I am your host Olive Smith. We are now coming to the end of Black History Month and I just want to say thank you to everyone who has been listening and keeping up to each week. I am ending this series in this month with a special guest. As you may have noticed, I have been talking about different characters from the book titled The Whitewashing of Christianity by Jerome Gay Jr. Well, I happen to have the opportunity to interview him. And so this is who will be on this episode. Uh, This took place last November and I was reading his book and I decided over the summer to reach out and ask if I could interview him. He agreed and said yes, that he was down. And I thought this would be the best way to end this series um, with the person who wrote this book and the person who is continuing to shape Christian faith today through this book. So I pray that you can learn and enjoy and just kind of soak up this opportunity to listen from Jerome and I's conversation. Hello, everyone. Today, I am talking with a very special guest. His name is Jerome Gay Jr. Um, If you have not heard of him, he is the author of the popular book called The Whitewashing of Christianity. This book is all about the hidden truths that have been impacted by um, whitewashed Christianity. Jerome is a pastor currently at Raleigh in North Carolina called Vision RDU and has his Master's of Christian Studies and Ethics from Southeastern Seminary. Jerome, I am so grateful to have you here today. How have you been? Been great, man. Been great. You know, it's been a busy season uh, through COVID and the uh, ups and downs of that uh, and, and how the rules and mass rules change and that sort of thing. But uh, God, is, his hand has been on our ministry since its inception and we continue to see his faithfulness. And so uh, overall, we are doing well, man. Thanks for asking. How has been um, how has been your church and your ministry post pandemic? I know that we're still seeing the effects of it today. How has that been for you leading as a pastor? Yeah, I think in, in the beginning, man, it was extremely rough. I think the the first three weeks, I probably was working 80 hour weeks and just had to fall back and repent for overworking myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that first year you, you, you thought, you know, next year, which is this year, hey, we'll be out of the woods on this. And so everyone just will, everyone will rush back. And that just wasn't the reality. And so we're, we're seeing a, a good amount. We, we've been able to grow by God's grace through the pandemic, but it's so many new people. So I'd say probably a third of the people that were there are coming. And these are pretty much the Barna stats. A third is coming, a third is watching. Then there's a third that may either be looking for other churches or either, even deconstructing their faith. Uh, we're actually in a deconstruction series right now to engage some of those hard questions. So uh, it was rough, but I just had to embrace the reality that in many ways we were starting over as a, as a 10-year-old church, getting ready to be 11. We got to start over. And so just seeking the Lord's wisdom on, on embracing this season and the challenge of kind of casting vision and culture to, to the new group of people that we have. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned deconstruction. And in your book, you talk about um, one of the chapters of White Jesus and what mm-hmm. impacts that it's had in the Black community and for Black Christians. Um, that has led to some deconstruction of the faith and has led to other Black Christians leaving the faith. How has mm-hmm. White Jesus been so detrimental um, in your own experience in writing this book that you found? <clears throat> Great question, man. I think one of the things I point out is a Breakfast Club episode um, in my book where they had on Dr. Umar Johnson. That thing has over five million views. Yep. And Dr. Umar says, he says that white Jesus picture 
is one of the greatest weapons of mass destruction in the black community. And if and I know you read the book, uh, mm-hmm. I started the book with the uh, the intro talks about the episode of D- Good Times that had a, a white Jesus mm-hmm. and how Florida, the mom comes home, sees a black Jesus on the wall that JJ painted, wants to take that down. And she points to the white Jesus and she says, this is the only Jesus I know. And so I want to I want to dive into the question, well, why is that the reality? Why is a white why why is white depictions of a brown skinned Middle Eastern man the only pictures or framework or image we've been given in the West to describe Jesus when we're told that his skin color doesn't matter, but yet many have used white skin in their favor to inaccurately portray Jesus. And so the issue with this is, and I do agree, it's not a his skin has no salvific value, right? But we should care about truth. We should care about you know, how we present things. And so the issue with that for black and brown millennials, but not just millennials, all ages, is it comes across as if Jesus may, may save black or brown people, but he hasn't used anyone who looks like us throughout history and antiquity. And we know that that's a lie, but it's been presented as truth. And so this has people on the outskirts. And so as believers, we should care about how our faith is being wrongly portrayed in a monolithic way as if Jesus has only used Europeans uh, throughout redemptive history and that all the people like essentially they're presenting it like Moses led a white uh, a million white people out of Egypt, like all these, mm-hmm. you know, like what, 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 I'm trying to figure out what planet or, or what geography book are they reading, right? right. Uh, what Bible are they reading? Yeah. And so this, this has eternal implications because people are making an eternal decision to reject Christ based on misinformation that has been presented as fact. And that's why when I define whitewashing, I say it is the, the, um, the affinity um, of white Christian scholars to present the Bible, Christian literature, art, and history with white imagery in order to resonate more with white audiences at the expense of authentic and, and uh, authentic ethnicity. And so this is why whitewashing is so dangerous and this subject must be broached. For sure. I'm not sure if you found this, but I remember during the pandemic, uh, I think it was Sean King, he made a post of let's take down white Jesus in churches. And mm-hmm. I remember I go to Liberty University. It's a very predominantly white conservative Baptist um, school. And I remember a lot of my friends were saying, what, like, why do they want to take down white Jesus? Like Jesus isn't white. This was a new idea for them of what a white Jesus was. And I had to show them in films, like this is who, these are the people that are casted for Jesus. And if you look at churches um, in the West, it's all depicted as a white man. so has that, have you found the same thing um, in your circles of white people not realizing that this has been the depiction for so many people of color that have realized this truth? Yeah, some, some uh, one of the things I talk about in my book is, you know, we, we, we can't immediately call everything racism, right? I, I, I present a spectrum. Yep. So there's racial ignorance where people genuinely don't know. And a lot of times this has to deal with proximity, information. Um, and there's there's some intentionality. There's racial indifference. This is when people who don't care, they just say whatever relationships I have, I have. There's racial insensitivity uh, where, you know, you're, you're on that borderline. But then there's racism, which is willful hatred. And so I have had friends, uh, my white brothers and sisters, um, who just they they don't think about it. And in many cases, they haven't had to. 
um, because the white imagery just was always presented as normal. Yeah. They didn't think it had any, and they said, well, no one I know thinks that Jesus is white. Well, I was like, well, yeah. um, respectfully, <laughs> you don't know enough people or you don't, and you don't know everyone, neither do I, but the people I know, yeah. uh, many of people I know do think it's a white man's religion because we've been force fed a white image of Jesus. Yeah. We've been force fed a white image of a brown skinned Middle Eastern man. And so, uh, you know, this has people wondering about the veracity of Christianity because they're saying, well, why would you guys lie? Why would you lie about what he looked like? Why would you lie about who he used? Why would you lie about slavery? And so these are legitimate questions that we need to engage ultimately to get people back to the gospel, which is the answer. But we, we have to, again, deconstruct some of the things that the blocks that we put it, the cultural blocks we put in the way uh, with all this white imagery. Um, I talk about this in the book, but when you when you talk about the intentional efforts of uh, of whitewashing, what you'll find is I want to get it right. In the 1800s, you had the American Bible Society, the American Sunday School Union, and the American Tract Society all intentionally wanted to associate Christianity with whiteness, and the Bible tracts they use exclusively use white images of Jesus mm. because they wanted to enforce nationalism. And they wanted them to uh, con uh, conflate Christianity and their views. And now we see that happening with associating Christianity with conservatism, where it's like, you know, neither party, the Democrats or Republicans, neither has a kingdom agenda. It's the church that's been given the manifold wisdom. And so, uh, yeah, those are the things I see where some are ignorant to the fact that this creates a barrier for some people to come to Christ because it presents Again, like I said earlier, it presents the Christian faith in a monolithic way. Yeah, and we've we've talked about already just the white Jesus and deconstruction, um, and just even like the knowledge that you were talking about with different Bible characters and where they were geographically. What was the most revealing thing when you were writing this book for your own personal walk? Yeah, I think the fact that a lot of this I had to research on my own. And I think as I'm doing this, I'm like, you know, why isn't this known? Why aren't the seminaries celebrating the, the rich African heritage of Christianity along with others? I don't, we shouldn't exclude European influences, but we shouldn't exclude African ones, right? And so, you know, I'm wondering what, how, why are the images in my seminary books of these African church fathers, white men? Why, why, why are these two African female martyrs, Perpetual Felicity, presented as white women? And so as I'm doing, I'm like, and again, how, how come this stuff hasn't been addressed? Or again, the Africanness of Christianity. I, I had to research that on my own. Hmm. And that's usually the task of a lot of uh, black and brown theologians when they just want to know about uh, the role God has used people who look like them throughout history. It's like, you got to figure that out on your own because the image and the version of Christian history you're given usually starts at the Protestant Reformation with John Calvin and Martin Luther. And, uh, and the, the, the ones they got their theology from, because Luther was heavily influenced by the Ethiopian Coptic Church, yeah. these influences are often ignored instead of accentuated. Yeah. Uh, how do you balance to find endurance to keep researching? Uh, and I say that because I'm my first semester in seminary and I did my undergrad in school divinity. And my I'm praying for you, brother. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, yeah. And we all say the same thing. Um, and we always contemplate of switching to HBCU because it feels like 
there's almost a distrust from what we're learning, um, even though it could be accurate, but only because there's not a whole scope of what's being presented as truth. There's always a questioning what feels like we have to do extra homework to learn about Christianity and the founders and early church fathers. So how do you have the endurance to be able to do that? Yeah, so I think about like what you just shared with me um, is a reason I wrote, one of the reasons I wrote this, man, is, you know, I'm thinking about brothers and sisters in positions like you. I, I went to a predominantly white institution that I'm grateful for. So I'm not going to bash my seminary. I'm, I'm grateful yeah. for Dr. Aiken, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Lo love the school. Um, but there, I had some rough experiences. I encountered racism. I encountered racial ignorance and racial insensitivity, um, not from the president. I mean, he was he was a true advocate but from some of the student base. Mm. And so I'm thinking about people who are gonna have my experience. And I'm saying there, there isn't a resource that kind of addresses how you feel, but still keeping the gospel central so you don't, cause your response shouldn't be hate whitey, right? Your response shouldn't be to turn on white people. Uh, and that's why I tell people this book, exposing whitewashing is not white bashing. This book is not white bashing, it's giving you history. Yeah. And so I'm thinking about brothers and sisters on the front lines, like yourself, like wrestling, trying to learn. Um, there's a huge cultural disconnect, but you have a hunger and thirst to want to know more. That's why, like you, seminary, you gotta you go by choice, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you gotta want to dig in all this stuff, right? You you gotta want to be there. So and so so I'm thinking about you, but I'm also thinking about like I got a brother right now who is not a believer. The first conversation we had, he looked at me in the face and said, white Jesus ain't going to save us. And by us, he meant black people. And I'm like, bruh, I gave him a copy. Yep, yep. Uh, he, went, he went and listened to it and said, man, I did not know any of this stuff. He's still not a believer yet, but now he wants to mm -hmm. talk to me about the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. So uh, this book was an evangelistic piece, but it was also... I pray for people like in your situation and other uh, brothers and sisters who are going to listen to this, not just black, by the way, but but are wrestling with some of these things. I said, I want to create a resource. And so that's why I was heavy on it, man. If you you know, you read the book, it's over 200 citations in the book, 241 to be exact. I wanted to have the receipts there. You can go behind and check and and fact check me so that people would be equipped to know that this our faith is one for all people, not just uh, verbally, but functionally as well. That's why I even had I had artists create original artwork of these church fathers, because, yeah. again, we've been flooded with white imagery. So I'm thinking about people like you, brothers mm -hmm. and sisters like you. I'm thinking about lost people who are getting ready to reject Christ. And I'm saying, Lord, you know, let this tool outlive me in terms of its impact. And, yeah. and the response has been great so far. Yeah, I, I love the book because it was, for one, I couldn't put it down. I was actually reading it over the summer and I was at this really big um, white Baptist church and I could just tell that there was just some things missing, like there weren't many, there wasn't a really good black community. And so I found this book and it was almost like I couldn't put it down, but I also had to study it. So I wanted to keep reading, but like <laughs> citations where it's like, no, like this is actually similar to a textbook, like it can definitely be used in seminaries to be studied on. And so I'm grateful for the way that you were able to break it down and make it um, rich in history of knowing almost hidden figures with also a blend of your own experience and your own seminary experience. So yeah, I, I definitely, um, it's definitely resonated with me. It's definitely given me hope as studying in seminary. 
Um, well, thank you, man. That that lets me know I that was part of my mission and vision for writing it. So to hear you say that, that means a lot to me. So thank you for sharing that. For sure. Uh, one of the other chapters, it was on the reformed theology versus culture. And mm-hmm. I this chapter, <clears throat> you put words uh, into the thoughts I was having, because I remember I was sitting in class and I would hear the stance, I was in systematic theology, I'd hear the stance of what reformed theology was. And I, I aligned closely to it, but then when yeah. I see the leaders and the people that were part of the culture, it made me om- like completely want to reject it. So break down to us, what is the difference between reformed theology versus the culture of the Reformation? Yeah, and so, you know, when you talk about reformed theology, you're, you're pretty much talking about uh, theological distinctions that are primarily attributed to the Protestant Reformation led by Martin Luther and John Calvin against the Catholic Church as they were doing things that didn't line up consistently with scripture. And so the this idea of Reformed theology comes out of this idea of, hey, let's get back to the scriptures, which again is something that I agree with. And that's why I said Reformed theology versus the culture, because most of the theological principles, with the exception of, of I don't embrace five-point Calvinism in terms of superlapsarianism or double predestination. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't accept that, right? And so, um, but most of the tenets of Reformed theology, I would affirm and most of the black and brown people I know say, yeah, I believe the gospel is central. I, I believe in the, the solas, like we would agree with the solas. Soli Deo Gloria, you know, glory to God alone. No issue with that. The problem, though, is when you only present white preachers as the standard. The problem is when you let that turn into the regulative principle on how we should worship. The problem is when you begin to say things that resonate with a particular context. A lot of times the white context is the way, is the reformed way. And I'm like, no, no, that's cultural. We need to agree on what the Bible says. And I don't consider that reformed theology. I consider that just being a biblicist in the sense of just letting the Bible shape and mold, let scripture interpret scripture, a proper, a proper hermeneutic on a biblical interpretation. I don't consider that 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 doesn't come from that's that's not originated with reformed circles. Right. Um, the, the African fathers had ideas in that long before Calvin and Luther, right? Yeah. So that the but it's the cultural part when you mm-hmm. begin to Uh, think that people need to be civilized or assimilated into your culture um, that we have an issue with. And so I use the example of Shoki Ko, who uh, Tim Keller talks about in his book, Center Church, and how white missionaries, um, reformed white missionaries were telling him how to do ministry. And he was like, no, I I agree with the theology, but we're not going to worship like this, or we're not going to structure our service like this, or we're not going to embrace all of your liturgy. Like we, we need to agree doctrinally, but liturgically, uh, again, as long as we're not being heretical, it may look different. And so our, our experience may be more emotional, but that's not at the expense of knowledge and substance and proper exegesis. And so that was some of the issue is, you know, you're, you're presenting a, a white way as the right way. And and or and I'm and, and this goes for any a black way is not the right way. It's a biblical way, right? Because yeah. honestly, black is not monolithic. White isn't monolithic. Mm-hmm. But those were some of the issues. And so that's what I wanted to unpack in that chapter to say. Um, I talk about John Frame because John Frame gives five reasons why more African Americans aren't embracing Reformed theology. And then the first. The first reason, he says, is the intellectual nature of the reform tradition. 
I'm like, I'm like, bro, you, you, it's it's like you're saying we're stupid. Like yeah. we, we're we're not we're not intellectually inferior. Uh, again, you know, I, we, we have the ancestors of Tertullian and Athanasius and Augustine and Shenouda and Perpetuan Felicity and Cyprian. Uh, and, and these are African Africans who yeah. thought critically, yeah. thought critically about the scriptures. Um, and so it wasn't an intellectual issue. It's a cultural one. And that's what I wanted to expose uh, in that chapter. What are your views on liberation theology, uh, because this is something that in the classroom I've seen weaponized uh, in a sense to say that we shouldn't only look at scripture as with liberation, but I do know that there is li liberation theology is solely focusing on um, maybe just an identity uh, rather than just like the fullness of scripture, but I also don't yeah. believe that we should just completely throw it out. So what is what is your opinion on it? Yeah, I think I think for the most part we associate liberation theology with Dr. James Cone, and you know his his primary focus was the gospel for oppressed Black people during his time, and I think it's important for people to understand the time that he was in, because he he witnessed he writes in the cross and the lynching tree, you know white churches literally having a lynching after service mm. after the service lynching a black person so these people are talking about salvation by grace and through faith and are literally lynching someone so the reason he emphasized the oppressed is because of his experience and i think mm -hmm. um so there's some validity there but we can't embrace all of black liberation theology um because the reality is and when we see this throughout scripture jonah actually had an issue with this the reality is that God is a God of the oppressed, mm -hmm. but he does, he also extends grace to the oppressor yeah. when the oppressor repents. Wow. And so, uh, that, and again, I understand he has a focus, but so Cone doesn't address that aspect of the gospel uh, in his writings, but that's a biblical reality. Again, that's why I use Jonah. Jonah was mad, like God is showing mercy to oppressors, but he wanted the oppressors to repent. And so he wanted them to turn and to, uh, to come to him. And so uh, mm -hmm. that, those are the, those are the, those are the things. And so there are aspects of some of the soteriology. We, we, again, we got to part ways. We got to make it clear that salvation is by grace and through faith in that alone and through Christ alone. It's not what we do. Yeah. And so um, we can't embrace it wholesale if, if you're going to be, uh, but I don't think it should be summarily dismissed as well. Just like anything, again, not all the aspects of Calvinism are helpful. Um, right. So you know, you say, hey, I could agree here, but here. So we have to do the same thing uh, with liberation theology. Yeah. Uh, what is your hope when it comes to future Southern Baptist seminaries, especially since you went to a Southern Baptist seminary, I'm in it. Um, what are some things that you hope to see in the future? Yeah, I just, I just hope that discussions like this would not be something that uh, Black students have to lead and do. Uh, yeah. Uh, without support, right? I, I yeah. pray that they don't see whitewashing as an issue that Black people need to expose, mm. but an issue that the church needs to expose yeah. because it wrongly, it wrongly and inaccurately presents our faith. I pray that uh, you know talking about racism doesn't automatically get you labeled as a critical race theorist. Mm. I, I know that CRT is a legal theory. I don't embrace it wholesale. I know that there's no redemption in it. 
Um, but there are historical aspects, just like we don't embrace all of the apocrypha. We, we know it's not canon, but we recognize some of the history in it. And so there are historical aspects of what happened. Uh, and this is a legal theory, but the moment you call out white supremacy or whitewashing, um, I wish people would just stop mischaracterizing. I wish that they would repent um, of slander and mischaracterization of people who are gospel centered um, and are out here addressing things that they're not addressing. So I just pray that there could be just some authentic unity. And that's why I wrote it the way I wrote it to say, again, this isn't white bashing, right? This is, that's why the, the, I put a subtitle, a hidden past, hurtful present, and a hopeful future. Yeah. Like we still have hope. Oh yeah. Because I hope, I hope is in Yeshua, not in each other, right? Yeah. Our hope is in him. And so I wanted to, uh, so that's, those are some, I got many, man. And, and, and again, I put some of those hopes in the book. Uh, but yeah, I just pray, I pray that, that like you said, like, that this would be a book in seminaries and, and not just mine along as others, but yeah, that this, this book will be seen as a viable resource. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I see a lot of books in the background. Do you ever see yourself uh, teaching in a seminary? Uh, I, I possibly, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm 42, man. So, you know, I, I got a lot of ministry left, but yeah. I do, you know, whenever the Lord has me no longer pastoring, I want to teach, but I, I probably would rather just teach at a, a, a HBCU man um, and and drop these. Yeah, I don't, I don't, again, I'm not in control, so <laughs> God can yeah. have me at a seminary, uh, but I, I don't see myself in that setting. Mm. I see more, because uh, I, I want to be around people that aren't speaking Christianese. Um, I want to be around, I want to be in that setting where I, I get the there's not as much of an assumption that everyone is theologically aligned, but I want to be around non-believers and present this information and, and share my faith. So, well, that's something that I've been um, thinking about as well, like just the future of wanting to teach. And there is a part of me that, again, that always is like HBCU, that would be so much easier. But I do look at students like myself and other, like my fellow students. Yeah. And I like... It would be so beneficial if there were more black professors in these yeah. Baptist seminaries because it's a voice that's being missed and it's very discouraging when we're in here because we it feels like you're it feels like you're alone most of the time and you're having to yeah. rely on each other to help instead of or you're always challenging the professor and so I think it is a unique calling to be able to go to these Southern Baptist seminaries. Yeah, I do agree with you. I, I do think more diverse. Uh, professors um and i hate to always have to explain this because people want to make wrongful assumptions i'm not saying just make them a professor because they're black right but but uh i think the people who think that need to repent of assuming that black people aren't qualified um you know what i mean that some aren't i would say you know uh qualified people who have the credentials um um yeah to be so having more black and brown staff i do I, that is something i think that is essential um, again, I saw Southeastern moving towards that. And these things take time. Some of the stuff I may not see in my lifetime, but if we can see movement, um, I think that's a win. Yeah, I think I remember I always would hear people anytime I would say we need more diverse staff, or we need more diverse anything people would always go back to, but they need to be qualified. And I would say, what makes you think what I'm requesting aren't people who are qualified? Like I want the best people yeah. out there. And so it's almost yeah. so to think that, oh, 
if you're wanting diversity, that means you're just wanting people. They're not necessarily going to be qualified. Yeah, like you like you have to lower the bar. Right. Like, no, you don't. You don't have to. You don't have to lower the bar. You yeah. you you just got to stop blocking the bar. You don't have to lower it, but just don't block it. One of the last questions that I have is, what is your message to the non-Black Christian who does not understand the importance of this book? And my second question is going to be, what is your message to the Black Christian who feels they are constantly trying to justify their faith to other Black people? Yeah, I, I would say to my white brothers and sisters who, who may have assumptions, you know, because of the title, right? Yep. Um, exposing whitewashing is not white bashing. This book, um, I always, I keep the gospel center, central in my preaching and I want to keep the gospel central in my writing, even when I'm dealing with difficult, difficult, controversial topics like this. And so I, I would ask you, you know, to read it, digest it, look at the index, the scripture index, because there's tons of scriptures to see that my heart and what shapes how I in, in, broach these topics is the Bible and not culture, not sociology, but scripture. Yeah. Two is that that you that you would see whitewashing um, not as a black issue, but as a Christian issue yeah. because it misrepresents our faith. That you would open yourself to the idea that whitewashing is the thing before you summarily dismiss it as something critical some critical race theories and that you don't even need to give it the time of day that you would humble yourself that mm. you would humble yourself and, and consider that there's perspectives because all of us including you my white brothers and sisters and like all of us have limited perspectives limited experiences and even our understanding and interpretation is limited and so i think uh you know i would ask you to to join us on this and you know i've been encouraged by those who brought me out and are listening and who read and said i thought this Mm -hmm. But I went ahead and read and then I was I was surprised. And I'm like, yeah, you, you had assumptions. Yeah, you assumed. Um, but but thank God you still gave it a chance to see uh, the gospel centrality of it. And so uh, that would be my challenge to the, the black and brown brothers who have to feel like they have to explain why they are Christians. Mm -hmm. um, I would just say that's that's the plight of a missionary in today's climate. Mm -hmm. It's like I know it gets tiresome, but see it as an opportunity. Um, to be used by God to potentially watch him draw someone to himself. John 6, uh, John 6, 44 says yeah. that a person isn't saved unless the spirit draws him. And God could be using you because you read my book, or other resources. Obviously, most importantly, is the scriptures, yeah. but that you're willing, you're, you're able to engage them and tell them why you, what you believe and why you believe it, that you're not blindly following one of the things I say in the book is Christians, we, we must stop giving faith-based answers to fact-based questions. And so being able to engage those questions, being able to let them know, yes, they tried to make Northern Africa look like Southern Europe, but it's a lie. And having the information to expose that and get them right back to the gospel of Christ. Um, see that as an opportunity. So yes, I know it gets frustrating. I have to do the same thing. I'm in a barbershop. People think Christians are coons. If you're black and Christian, some people think that. Not all, but some. But yeah. And but it's like, hey, this is the plight. And if Jesus can down the cross and live in my place, I can spend an extra five minutes explaining for a soul. So if he could do that for me, we can do this for him. And so I would encourage you, hang in there, use this resource, use it, read it, uh, encourage other people, go through this, go through this thing with a group of people. It's discussion questions in the back. And 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 discuss it 
and it'll gird you. You'll be equipped reading this book uh, to continue to engage the challenges you'll be hit with as a Christian who's black or brown. Thank you so much, Jerome, for again, coming on here and just giving encouragement and wisdom and knowledge. Uh, can you just tell people where they can find you out on social media and what absolutely that we can be praying for you? Yeah, please. Um, so yeah, uh, Instagram uh, at Jerome Gay. So at J-E-R-O-M-E-G-A-Y. Uh, that's the same for Twitter at Jerome Gay. On Facebook, my professional page is Pastor Jerome Gay Jr. So follow me on Facebook. Uh, go to my website, JeromeGayJr.com, J-E-R-O-M-E-G-A-Y-J-R.com. And there you can see other resources because this is actually my second book. My first book was called Renewal. You can also get signed copies. If you want a signed copy of the book, go to JeromeGayJr.com. And mm -hmm. I would love to sign it and send you a signed copy. Last thing, check out IamApparel.net. Uh, that's my wife's clothing line that has African images of the church fathers on sweatshirts wow. and hoodies, t-shirts. So yeah, we love, and if, when you support that, 10% goes to missionaries in Ghana. One of the visions of our church is to have 100 black or brown missionaries. So we got uh, missionaries in Navarongo, Ghana. We've built, we're building a school for kids with special needs. We built a church. So when you buy one of these shirts with the African images on it, you're supporting those missionaries. So IamApparel.net. And uh, yeah, pray for us as, you know, we continue to be missionaries in our city. We're in North Raleigh now. Um, so check out the church website, visionrdu.com. Uh, uh, subscribe to VisionRDU or my web, my YouTube page. I forgot about that, youtube.com slash the urban perspective. Uh, so I got a lot of ways you can get a hold of me, man. I, I'm trying to continue to put out content. So pray for that we'll, we'll be missionaries. We're in the process of trying to, um, we want to, purchase our building. So we'll be doing a capital campaign going into next year. So just pray for those things as we can, we seek to be salt and light where God has us. Perfect. Well, what I do for every guest as they come, um, I have them close out in prayer. So could you just pray us out and just be praying for the listeners that are going to be listening to this, that the right people will listen to it and that they can Absolutely. read this book and to be able to get the hope um, that Christ gives us? Yes, sir. Father, we are grateful that um, it's only by grace and through faith we get to be called your children. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone is your creation, but it's by grace and through faith that we become your children. And I pray that whoever would listen to this, listen to this conversation, uh, would be more impacted by the God we're talking about, not the two men talking, Lord. God, that they would uh, want to know more about you, Lord, and that you would be drawing them to yourself to save them, God. I pray for the person who's deconstructed their faith because of whitewashing or racism or whatever, that they would see you lovingly drawing them back, Father. I pray for the person who thinks everything's about CRT and, and doesn't engage different perspectives, God, that, that you would soften their heart and that they would be humbled, Lord, to live in humility. Uh, I pray for the person wrestling and, and with the idea of slavery in the Bible, um, which is something else addressed in the book. And they, and they may be thinking that, that God was in favor of the, the degradation of Black people. That's not the truth, God. Would you enlighten that person? And God, I pray for the seminary student uh, that is in a, a dominant culture setting and is not sure if they can make it. God, give them strength. Give mm -hmm. them comfort, God. Let them be reminded of who you are and what you're doing in and through them for your glory, God. And so we just pray uh, that you will continue to move and that we would rest in who you are and what you're doing. I pray that every listener, Father God, if they do not know you, Lord, uh, that they would come to know you, Father God. Uh, my book is a resource, but your word and your son is the source. 
And so I pray uh, that in everything they will rest in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thanks a lot.